This morning's reading is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 8, reading verses 30 to 35. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, now. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you for your welcome, Sue. Um, as Sue mentioned, I'm kind of filling in for my colleague, Archdeacon Mike. Um, Archdeacon Mike is on some compassionate leave because his mother died last week. He's got various family stuff he needs to be, to be sorting out. Um, so do keep Archdeacon Mike in your prayers um, and he, as he works through uh, his grief and, and with his family. Um, but it's good to be able to fill in for him today. Uh, before I start uh, uh, speaking about this passage, let's just uh, pray that God will speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your holy word in the scriptures. We pray that you will open the ears of our hearts now, that we may understand what it is to live as your people, that we will be made more and more like the, those that you have called are more and more like Jesus Christ, who we follow and whose promises we claim. In his name we pray, amen. Now, as Sue mentioned earlier, those who've been in church for the last couple of weeks have been looking at this guy, Joshua, and his character and how that shows us how we might uh, follow Jesus Christ in, in our Christian religion. Um, I haven't been here for those last two weeks, so I don't know what was said on those first two weeks of this series, and I know a number of you who've been here, who are here to support Blake at his uh, baptism, you haven't heard it either, so we're all in the same boat, really. Commitment to Scripture, and more importantly, I think, what God is doing in this passage um, with Joshua and his commitment to Scripture. But I'm going to skip back and just talk a bit about who this guy Joshua is and what, what part of the story of God's engagement with his people 
uh, this is and what's been going on, um, just so that we're all kind of on the same page. And those who've been here for the last couple of weeks, you may have heard this and you may not have heard this, but you're going to hear it again if you haven't, so uh, there it is. So uh, Joshua, we're kind of in the Bronze Age here, maybe a thousand years, 1200 years before Christ about 3,000 years ago or so. So this is the Bronze Age, and Joshua is the leader of the people of God. They know there are people who've got this connection, this relationship with God, and that God has been speaking to them over a number of years before this. So the people of God call themselves the Israelites because they're descended from a guy called Israel. Israel is actually the nickname. The guy's name was Jacob. Uh, Jacob is the father of Joseph, as in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, and he gets this name Israel. Israel means one who struggles with God. So the people of God know that they've got this relationship with God, and they know that they're kind of engaging with God, trying to work out what it means to have a relationship with God, who is the maker of heaven and earth, not just like some kind of ordinary relationship, quite an extraordinary relationship. So they're working out what that means. And they call themselves the Israelites because they're descended from that family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, some of these other figures that you may have heard of and read about, in, particularly in the book of Genesis. People who are not members of that people call them, call them the Hebrews. Again, Hebrews is a word we're familiar with. Um, Hebrews um, literally means people who wander about. Because there are people who've wandered about. Because if you remember, Joseph ends up in Egypt, and so the people of God, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob end up in Egypt, and then they get a new leader, Moses. And under Moses, um, the people of God have, many of them have become slaves, they're not very happy as slaves, so Moses leads them out of slavery and they escape from Egypt. So they kind of wander away from Egypt, they end up in the desert, they wander around for a few years in the desert, then they end up where this story is set, in the land of Canaan, as they called it then, which is Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, those kind of places. And they're still wandering around trying to find a home because they know that God has promised them a home that they can live in, a place where they'll be able to be at peace and live together. So there are people who are kind of wandering around and they're looking for that. And Joshua has taken over from Moses as their leader. So Moses has died, Joshua has taken over as their leader. And Joshua's their kind of governor and their judge. He's also their military leader. He's also their kind of religious leader. And in most uh, tribes at that time, they'd have called Joshua their king. But the people of God don't call anyone their king because we've got this real sense, and we still have this real sense that ultimately God himself is our king. God himself is the one who is in charge. So they're a bit cautious about calling their leaders kings because when you're a leader among the people of God, and some of us have that privilege of being a leader among the people of God, but it's also a hazardous spiritual position because when you're a leader, you can think that you're in charge, but we know that God is in charge, and God is the one who we follow. And so the leaders of the people of God are called, as Joshua is, very often called the servant of God, or the prophet of God, or the mouth of God. Because the important thing for leaders uh, among the people of God, and if you are looking for a spiritual leader, make sure that this is the test. The important thing among the leaders of the people of God 
is to pass on what we have heard from the Lord. It's what God says and what God is leading us to do that are the things we are trying to follow. And of course, that comes to the whole question of Scripture, because in Scripture, in the Bible, we can trace what it is that God has laid out as the principles and the trajectory, the story of how it is to follow what God wants us to do. And so, the task of leaders is to interpret that and to pass that on. So, Joshua is not called the king of the people of God. He's called the prophet of God, the servant of God, the mouth of God. He's passing on to the people what it is that God wants the people to do and how he wants them to grow. And we get to this passage where we join uh, Joshua in chapter 8 of the book of Joshua, and this takes place um, in uh, the, the site of the modern city of Nablus in the West Bank in Palestine. So that's where this is, and it's between these two mountains that are named in the passage, which are Ebal and Gerizim. don't know if that's what they're still called, um, but this is where the city of Nablus is. So you can find this on, in, your, uh, in your Google Maps if you, if you look up Nablus. And Joshua is bringing the people together for an assembly. People of God are getting together like we're getting together this morning. And the assembly has a purpose of thanksgiving. There are various ways in which God has been blessing the people, including a military victory they've just won. uh, And God has blessed them and given them success. So they're giving thanks to God. Uh, That's part of the purpose of the assembly. Another part of the assembly, and we won't go into the detail of this, but if you look at the book of Joshua, lots of ways in which the people of God go wrong, because we always go wrong a bit. So part of the purpose of this assembly is also to ask forgiveness for their sins, and to ask guidance for the future, and to recommit themselves to God's service. And our assemblies, when we meet together as a church, when we meet together as the people of God, have all those same kind of purposes. We give thanks we ask for forgiveness of sins, we commit ourselves to God's service in the future, we ask for guidance in that service. So Joshua is doing all those things when he brings the people of God together. And then in practice, you'll see in this passage how two things happen. They do two things when they gather together. Firstly, they gather together and they build an altar and they make a sacrifice. And then the second thing is when they gather together, Joshua reads to them the the book of the law. Now, this is in slightly unfamiliar language, because I say we're in the Bronze Age, but actually what those two things they're doing are the same things that we do when we gather together as a people of God, as a church. They build an altar and make a sacrifice. Now, their sacrifice is a literal sacrifice. They're bringing animals, we don't know what kind of animals, maybe grain, wine, oil. They put them on the altar and they burn them as a sacrifice to God. Now, our sacrifices aren't like that because we live after the time of Jesus, who has made on the cross a sacrifice which is better than any other sacrifice that could be made. So, we don't need to bring bulls and goats and grain and wine and oil and burn them in this church. But we join in with the sacrifice that Christ makes on the cross. We particularly do that when we come together for Holy Communion as a church. St. Paul tells us that Holy Communion shows forth the death of the Lord until He comes. But we join in with sacrifice as well whenever we praise God, whenever we worship God, whenever we pray, whenever we ask for forgiveness. Those purposes for which Joshua has brought together the people of God, they're all, as it were, sacrificial purposes. I do want to underline one thing which is really emphasized in this passage about the sacrifice. 
And this uh, is important. Whenever we get together for all those ways in which we make a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for God, whenever we sing in our worship, whenever we uh, offer prayer to God, uh, whenever we do any kind of service to God, when we serve one another, that is also a kind of sacrifice, a self-sacrifice, so that we put ourselves at the service of others in all the good that we do for others because God wants us to do good for others. Here's the detail which is lent on a bit in this passage. Um, Joshua builds an altar of uncut stones, this is in verse 31, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had ever been used. And it may not be clear from the way this passage is laid out if you look it up in your Bible, but this is a direct quotation from the book of Deuteronomy, a couple of books earlier in the Bible. This is one of the ways in which Joshua is committed to Scripture because an earlier part of the Bible has told him to do something and now he's doing it. And one thing that it says in the book of Deuteronomy is when you build stones, in other words, when you build a kind of neat stone wall, you dress the stones so the nice square blocks. This altar is not built of nice square blocks that they've chiseled away. It's built of just random stones that they've found lying about. In other words, they've built the altar of stones that are just as God left them. They haven't made any improvement to these stones. And that's a direct quotation for the book of Deuteronomy. It's quoted here. Joshua follows what the book of Deuteronomy tells him to do, and he builds the altar just of stones that are lying about. He doesn't improve them by chiseling them into nice square blocks. And that seems a funny thing to emphasize, but the point is that when Joshua and the people are making their sacrifice, when they're praising God, when they're praying, when they're offering their service, they haven't made any improvement on what God has given them. And the fact the altar is uncut stones, not improved by chiseling into nice square blocks, is a symbol of the fact that whenever we offer something to God, we are only offering God what he has given us. All the good things we've got come from God. The praise that we have, the prayer that we offer, the service we offer to one another, anything we have... We give it to God, we offer it to God in his service, but all those things have been already given to us. And so the uncut stones are there to remind the people that they have not made any improvement on what God has given them. They're simply offering something back to God, which he gave them in the first place. And whenever we make any offering to God, whether we are coming together to celebrate Holy Communion, whether we're singing our praises in worship, whether we're offering our prayers to God, whether we're doing good for other people. All that service is only offering God back a little bit of the things that he gave us in the first place, because everything good comes from him. So Joshua is committed to Scripture. He looks at what Scripture tells him to do, and he does it. But the reason that Scripture tells him to make an altar of uncut stones is to remind us all that when we offer something to God, we've made no improvement on what God has given us. We're just using his gift. And then we come to the bit which is more obviously about Joshua and his commitment to Scripture, which is they've gathered together, they've made their sacrifice, they've praised God, they've prayed to God, they'd asked for forgiveness for their sins, and now they read the book of the law together. And again, the, the language is something slightly strange, but the book of the law is a way of referring to usually the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. And I, I haven't got those written in front of me, so I hope you're impressed. 
So that in, in Jewish tradition is called the book of the law, those five books of the Bible. And we might think that book of the law implies that those, those books are all commandments and rules. And there are lots of commandments and rules in those books of the Bible, but that's not all that's in those books of the Bible. And the book of the law covers all sorts of other things we don't think of as law. It covers the whole story of how God has been engaging with people, of how God spoke to Noah to tell him to build the ark, of how God spoke to Abraham to promise uh, that he'd become a great people and his descendants would be as many as the stars of the sea, of how he spoke to Joseph uh, to interpret the dreams that Pharaoh was having, of how he spoke to Moses uh, to lead the people in escaping from slavery and crossing the Red Sea. So the book of the law includes all that story of how God has been relating to his people. And then, of course, it does include all sorts of commandments that says, this is how God wants us to live. Some detail about how God wants us to live and some big principles about how God wants us to live. And the other thing it includes, and this is referred to in this passage in verse, I've lost the verse, um, uh, verse 34, it includes blessings and curses. In other words, if you live like God has a vision for you to live, what good things will come from that? And if you fail to live like God wants us to live, what bad consequences will come from that? Blessings and curses. Now, when they gather together to pray and praise God, to ask forgiveness of their sins, to, to give thanks to God, they then read that, that book of the law. They read all that story of what God has done for his people, of how God has spoken to his people, of God, how God wants us to live as his people. They read it, and notice what is emphasized in this passage. Uh, twice in this passage, it's emphasized that everybody gathers together to read that scripture. So first in verse 33, all the Israelites, the elders, the officials, the judges, the Levitical priests, the foreigners, and the native-born, everybody is gathering around to hear this read. And then again in verse 35, uh, Joshua read it to the whole assembly, assembly of Israel, including the women, including the children, including foreigners who lived among them, that everybody gets to hear what God has done and what God has said to his people. Now, that shows Joshua's commitment to Scripture. So, just as Joshua looked at Scripture to tell him, what should I do? And we talked about the building of the altar. That's according to what it is commanded in, in Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. And so then he's offering that same opportunity to everybody. He's saying, everybody listen to what God is saying to us. Everybody listen to what God is saying to us. So that shows Joshua's commitment to Scripture. But it also shows something that is rather more significant in what God is doing in this moment. Because I've told you about the, some of the characters, uh, characters that you'd have heard of who God spoke to in the past in the Scripture. Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whose nickname is Israel, and Joseph and Moses, and now Joshua. These are the leaders of the people of God, and God has spoken to these people. He's revealed himself to these people, and he's guided these people in what they should do. What is happening now is that everybody who is a member of the people of God is getting the chance to hear those same things. And Joshua is starting a process, which is still what we do today, where all that is available to everybody. I don't know if God speaks directly to you, but God speaking directly to people is not actually that frequent. But God has spoken to various people through history, 
And now, because we have the Scripture, because we have the Bible, we have the opportunity to hear that. And Joshua is inculcating a practice, which is what we still do in church to this day, which is we read Scripture together so that even if God has not spoken to you directly, we can hear what he has, how He has spoken to His people through the whole of history. And this is almost the first occasion on which people get together to read the Bible together. There's a wonderful moment, if I skip forward to almost the very end of the Bible, there's a wonderful moment where St. Paul is talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and he's explaining Christianity to a guy called Festus, who's a Roman governor. And he says to Festus, he says, and this is in Acts chapter 28, and he says, these things, in other words, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's our Savior, these things were not done in a hole in a corner. They were done before the face of the world, so anyone can see. And that's how God acts. He doesn't act by revealing himself privately to me so that I know God and none of you know God. He says, I'm revealing myself to various people through history, and the reason I'm revealing myself to various people through history is so that everybody can know me. Everybody can have access to me. Everybody can know what my vision is, about how you should live so that you are blessed. And this is the start of that process. Joshua, who's committed to following Scripture himself, also wants to open it out so everybody hears what God has been saying. So I encourage you, of course, I encourage you to praise God and thank Him, as Joshua and the people do, for the good things, the ways in which He has blessed us. I encourage you to pray to God and I encourage you to ask forgiveness of your sins. These are good things that we can all do, as Joshua and the people do. And I encourage you to read your Bibles. But even more than reading your Bibles, I encourage you to read the Bibles together. Come together as a church and read the Bible together as we're doing this morning. If you're bringing up your children, give them Bibles so that they can read them for themselves as they grow up. But also read the Bible as a family. Read the Bible with your friends and neighbors, members, you know, people who you know who are Christians, but maybe read the Bible even if the person that you read it with is not a Christian. The Bible is not supposed to be a kind of private revelation so that I can have God as a possession just for me. It's supposed to be a thing that we read all together ourselves, that we share with others, because God has spoken not just to me, not just to you, but to the whole world. Joshua is committed to Scripture because he's God's servant. And many of us here would think of ourselves in the same category. But Joshua doesn't keep it to himself. He begins this process whereby everybody hears what God has to say. So that everybody, as St. Paul says in another place in Scripture, everybody has a chance to be saved, to be blessed, to receive a vision from God and to be brought into his people. Thanks be to God that we have such an amazing God who does these things, not just for one or two, but for all of us.